Welcome to the Identity Center podcast. I'm Jeff and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good. And you? Good, good. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about our guests because we're going to dive into a topic that um, has always been, it's just one of the major challenges that every organization faces, which is the management of what I call, you know, non-employees. Usually the employees are pretty well managed. Um, or at least better managed than the non-employees, and the non-employees, you know, create additional challenges. So, um, really excited to, to kind of dive into that topic today. Yeah, this is something that comes up all the time, right? How do you manage? Most organizations do a good job of managing their employees, right? They have an HR system, uh, but non-employees, third parties, vendors, contractors, consultants, you know, all those other folks typically get treated as kind of like the redhead stepchildren <laughs> of the organization, <laughs> right? They're kind of like, uh, you know, well, we'll just kind of throw them an active directory or, you know, we'll put them in some sort of access database or spreadsheet or, you know, if they have that, or maybe it's not even well-managed. So um, so it's a good thing that we've got an, a, an expert in this field. Um, we've got David, who is the founder and CEO at Sexzeta, and uh, he's joining us today to talk about managing third-party identities. And uh, welcome to the show, David. Thank you, good morning. Good morning. So one of the first questions that we typically ask of all of our guests is to, you know, briefly explain how did they get into the IAM space? Um, you know, what is what is your background when it comes to identity and access management? Yeah, sure. So uh, I spent uh, quite a bit of time um, consulting in really uh, project and program management in a broader cybersecurity uh, uh, category. So focused on doing some HIPAA roadmap uh, or HIPAA uh, compliance roadmaps for some healthcare companies. And as part of uh, those roadmaps, there was always, you know, this uh, large, expensive project uh, known as identity. And um, it, it usually took up, you know, a good portion of the budget, a good portion of the time and the resources and uh, made a realization that, hey, this is, you know, an opportunity to, to really kind of focus on a space as opposed to, a uh, broader set of uh, cybersecurity requirements. So I founded uh, SecZeta, uh, and we really did um, system integrations with some of the market leaders, so consulting and integrations um, around some of those market-leading um, products. And, um, you know, I've led uh, dozens of identity projects um, for, you know, enterprise, uh, you know, enterprise size organizations, uh, government contractors, uh, lots of experience in healthcare, uh, as well as all the way down to, you know, what I would consider SMB, uh, for identity. So, um, you know, a lot of experience in governance, uh, um, and kind of the broader identity space. I love it. So what we always look to get out of that question, David, is, um, did IAM choose you or did you choose IAM? And I think you fit into the smaller category of you chose IAM. You saw an opportunity and kind of pursued it, um, which would you would you say I got that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, I, I saw that opportunity and I saw the amount of work and the expertise that was required for, um, you know, uh, it's obviously not a niche, but it is certainly a, 
uh, a skill set, a unique skill set to be able to understand and implement uh, identity solutions. So I thought that was a great opportunity to kind of, you know, focus in an area and really be an expert in one thing. It's it's hard to be uh, really great at everything. So um, yeah, I chose to I chose identity. I think your differentiated um, solution to a problem that. Uh, like I said, I think all organizations have. I, I'd like to say most organizations have, but all organizations uh, that I interface with have these non-employees. And so your company focuses on the management of those non-employees. But you know, let's level set. What is what's different between non-employees and regular employees? What what are the things that make them different from an identity and access management standpoint? Oh, there's there's lots of differences, right? So. Um, you know, just, just to kind of tie in the last question, one of the things, and I think what you were discussing that, that I saw in, you know, my implementations of identity governance solutions was this repeated theme of, you know, great context and data about employees, and you can use that to manage and govern access. But none of that really exists for non-employees, right? And that's the simplest thing sometimes. Just you know, just the basic information about who this person is, right? Uh, there's all of this vetting and all of um, uh, this due diligence behind uh, uh, determining who your employees are. And, you know, in information security or in, in identity, you can, you know, you have some level of assurance that the data you get about those people is good, it's valid, it's timely, um, and you can use that, you know, to really execute on, on your ultimate goal. Uh, for non-employees, it's, you know, it's the wild, wild west quite often, right? So either you have nothing, or as Jeff had stated earlier, like sometimes they're stuck in AD with something that signifies that they're a non-employee. But, you know, the real differences between employees and non-employees is their relationship to the organization, right? So um, an employee is really a, uh, a, a person that is part of the organization, right? Um, where the, the non-employee is somebody who has a relationship to the organization, but they're not focused on the uh, success of your business. They're focused on the success of their business. So they really have different drivers in you know, how they act and how they participate in a relationship with your organization. Management of non-employees is done completely differently. It's distributed. It's the line of business that has relationship with those non-employees uh, versus, you know, uh, employees are, are managed through a centralized team in HR, uh, as well as line managers that are managing those relationships. But even further than that, there are big regulatory compliance uh, differences between non-employees and employees, and there are real concerns around uh, things like co-employment or misclassification of employment. And you see some of that right now with California trying to make Uber drivers employees, right? They don't want them to be independent contractors because they're eligible for benefits. So there's all of this uh, diligence that you should do on non-employees to, one, ensure that uh, you're managing a relationship appropriately, you're mitigating risk uh, about them and their relationship to your organization, um, and you're mitigating sort of employment law risks as well. So, uh, and that's just really scratching the surface, but all of those things really are, you know, context about ultimately the goal for an organization is to get them working kind of in parallel with your organization. And that usually requires some form of access, whether it's physical, 
systematic access or the combination of those two things, right? Line of business really only cares about getting those people access. I hope that answers the question, but uh, uh, really that just kind of scratches the surface of the difference between the two. Yeah, I think it does. And I think one of the common questions that that I get asked a lot, and I'm sure Jim and maybe yourself uh, you know, have gone through this in the past, is the question of ownership of that identity, right? Typically, HR owns an employee identity, but you you talked about how the lines of business um, might own some of the identities. How, how do you see it working, you know, in your experiences where you do have large populations of, of third parties, whatever they may be? Do you see more often a central group owning them? Do you see HR uh, taking some ownership claim over them? Or do you see kind of a mix? And I would imagine the answer is probably different for every company, but what do you what do you see as some of the options that are out there for organizations that struggle with this? Yeah, it's certainly different for every company. And quite frankly, it's usually different uh, even within the same organization, depending on the population type. There's another real difference between non-employees and employees. Employees in an organization are really defined as a, you know, a single group, right? That is employees that are managed by that central HR team. For non-employees, uh, most organizations have a variety of types or different, different populations of non-employees. And I couldn't, you know, I could spend the whole podcast here just kind of naming those categories. But some examples of that are if you're in healthcare, you might have contract nurses, you have providers. Uh, almost every organization has some form of IT contractors, SAW workers, right? Go down the list, volunteers. It doesn't even have to be uh, people that are really related to other organizations, or they are more closely related to other organizations like affiliates, right? Uh, we see, you know, in teaching hospitals, we have students, we have researchers, we have volunteers, right? That's just in healthcare. I mean, if you think about insurance, it's agents. If, uh, you know, you go across the different uh, industries and you'll find different types of non-employees. So the management of those non-employees really is dependent on that population type, right? Your organization very likely does not manage the relationship of an IT contractor the same way that they do, uh, say, a healthcare provider, um, a third-party healthcare provider, right? So there's different requirements in the life cycle, right? Um, are we going to check licensure, credentialing, et cetera, uh, for healthcare providers? So the ownership really boils down to how the line of business engages with those people. So ownership of third parties is, is often distributed. Uh, whether you house them all in a central location in the end um, or not, the actual management and relationship is done very in a very distributed fashion by the line of business. So either by an individual sponsor who's maintaining a relationship or one or, one or, or several non-employees, or sometimes we see a group of people within an organization that is responsible for a type of non-employee. Again, contract nurses, uh, you know, nursing manager in healthcare might be responsible for, you know, all third-party nurses. So um, that's just a, a, an example of the variety of ways we see, but it is always managed in a distributed fashion. And that is a huge differentiator between how an employee and a non-employee is related to an, to an organization. Yeah, David, I'm really glad you said that because, you know, what I see happen very, very often is, you know, we work with IAM program managers, practitioners, and we're all of the mindset we need to get it done. So we start out, we talk to HR, they say, not our problem. Uh, maybe we'll talk to procurement. They manage it from a contract standpoint, but that doesn't really 
give you the identity. And then so IT says, all right, well, uh, I guess we'll manage it, <laughs> right? Because we can't move forward unless somebody manages it. Here's the thing. It's not IT's responsibility, right? IT might maintain the database. IT is a line of business in terms of, you know, they have to manage the people that work in IT, but IT shouldn't be responsible for keeping track of, you know, finance hired some temps that were there for a couple of months and now they've left and nobody knows about it. That falls back on the finance group, right? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, the, the statement I want to make is this is not IT's ownership. Yeah. And ultimately it's not IT's risk either. Right. So um, that that's what it really boils down to and what, you know, we really should be talking about is the, the mitigation of risk uh, for the organization in their relationship with these third parties, right? So um, it, it is um, it is in some ways nice to see IT have to lead the conversation for the line of business because it's not the line of business's specialty to manage, you know, relationships with outside organizations. All the groups that you just talked about are often stakeholders, right? So IT is going to be a stakeholder here. Uh, HR is going to be a stakeholder. Procurement is going to be a stakeholder. But ultimately, the owner of the relationship, that non-employee, is the individual or the group that is the line of business, right? Uh, because they are they are the one creating that relationship uh, to do whatever they're trying to do um, for their business unit. So they they not only own the relationship, but they also should own the risk, right? Um, so that's why, you know, having a system that allows for that uh, uh, really can kind of lead the business down the right path and become a business enabler, right? Uh, the, the IT team uh, really, you know, facilitate or can facilitate uh, a tool for the use by the business so that that risk is effectively mitigated. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I mean, I've seen this shift. I've been in IT for 20 years. I've seen this shift from IT being about the bits and bytes to really driving transformation within the business. And you see a lot of business-minded people, people in IT who say, I'm not a techie. Wow, you're in IT and you're not a techie. That's interesting, but it's true. A lot of people are business-minded people in IT who know how to span, span the organization, pull the organization together, and define new process. And on top of that, I think you know having a, a system to do it so that the company is not investing multiple times to have you know multiple solutions. So, um, but that kind of transitions into the next question, which I wanted to ask. As I know, a lot of times when we run into this issue uh, with with the clients that we're consulting to, um, the the you know at least from my perspective, if we go into a client and they say we're managing our uh, non-employees, everybody who has cyber access is in HR. I'd say that's less than ten percent of the organization, but it's kind of like you know what if you got a process and you've got a system to manage it, great. A lot of times that's run the organizations we see do that are ones that, you know, the non-employees have to go through the same background checks, the same training that employees do. So having it in separate systems, they, they kind of just decided a while back they were going to put everybody in HR. Um, usually it's smaller organizations. And like I said, it's usually driven by some other factors. 
But then in the 90% of organizations that don't do it that way, you know, the, the, the default thought is, okay, for the people that aren't managed, and you brought up some good cases like, you know, healthcare. We'll see a lot of healthcare organizations have databases of doctors and, you know, like a credentialing database, and that can be an authoritative source. Uh, but then if you talk, you know, in general, we'll see a lot of organizations say, all right, we're going to go down this path of identity governance. We're going to use our identity governance tool to manage these non-employees. And, and what I find is that those systems are not built around that. They're built around the expectation that an authoritative source exists. A lot of people are not familiar with um, the solution that, that you have. Um, I, I think what I want to put forth to you is when you're thinking about those options of, you know, A, you know, manage the people in HR, B, manage them in your IGA, or C, look at a system like yours, what, how, do you, how do you decide which one makes the most sense for your organization? Do you have a framework for thinking about that question? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that, that you know, comes up quite often for us, those, those questions. And, uh, you know, they're, they're absolutely legitimate questions because the first thought is, is, oh, I've got a people management tool. Why don't I put them in there? Um, there is a variety of reasons um, why in both of those cases uh, it, it's not a good idea. And by the way, we have several customers um, that actually went down all of those use cases, including homegrown, uh, before, you know, coming to us and realizing that this is, it's, you know, um, it's really its its own uh, expertise in the space and the needs and um, and tools are very specific to that population. So, you know, just some of the examples why, you know, those are usually uh, end up being a bad idea um, are, you know, HR systems are extremely expensive, both from a licensure perspective, right? Um, even when discounted for, for non-employees and contractors, they're still usually quite a bit in excess of a system that um, is built specifically for this purpose. But the real cost of the business in the HR system is the amount of resources that you have to dedicate, one, to customize and configure that tool, but also to manage those populations uh, by an HR team. So there's, you know, formulas for, you know, how many HR people you need, you know, per employee. Well, there is, you know, if you centralize that, that, that task to a team um, like HR, there is going to be a formula for the number of HR people that need to manage uh, those relationships to third parties, right? So um, there's also big misclassification issues with putting your non-employees into your HR system. So a lot of organizations don't really consider that when they do make that decision. Uh, we have a customer who um, actually uh, had a case uh, uh, dismissed. It was a misclassification uh, by a class action suit by some uh, uh, third parties. And because they, you know, one of the major factors was that they housed all their third parties in a system dedicated to, you know, third parties as, a, as opposed to their employee management system, right? So, um, so those are, you know, just some of the reasons why, you know, HR just isn't a great place. And frankly, it's a terrible place to mitigate risk around third parties. I'll kind of, you know, I'll try to um, uh, kind of bring you through, you know, hopefully in this conversation, I have an opportunity to kind of bring you through, you know, real mitigation of risk in the access that third parties are granted and how, if you follow that back 
uh, it really needs, there really needs to be uh, a piece that fits in between um, third-party vendor risk, right? So the, the prevalence and the bit sites and the security scorecards of the world and identity, right? Because there's a thread that goes through that to mitigate risk. Um, IAM systems, look, we, we were an integrator for years. There, uh, a lot of them are really great at managing access. Uh, this is, you know, being a collaborative uh, relationship management tool um, at, at a um, humanic level is not what they're built to do, right? So that's actually another big thing that you won't find in an HR system or an IAM system is collaboration. Managing the relationship of a third party requires collaboration between your line of business and an outside organization. And the, the uh, personas in the outside organization are the third party themselves, uh, as well as quite often a representative. So, you know, something we call a delegated administrator, but effectively that could be a project manager, uh, that could be a line manager at your partner organization who's responsible for the relationship of that person in your organization. And then within your organization, you have a sponsor. Um, you have other stakeholders who might be involved in life cycle process like HR who might say, okay, well, we have to have these three things we, you know, to cover our risks. We need to have these three things and procurement might be a stakeholder in there. But effectively, a system that allows the collaboration between an outside organization and the people involved in the inside organization is necessary. Because if you don't have that system, they are going to collaborate. And that collaboration is going to happen via email and phone call, right? So if you put them in the HR system, that's the line of business manager collecting information via email from a third-party vendor, right? Uh, populating it or sending it to HR via email to populate it into an HR system, right? So you can see um, if you try to uh, uh, audit that process, um, it's really not, you know, uh, it's not realistic to audit that process. Uh, and it's obviously prone to lots of human error and uh, overexposure or risk ultimately in the organization, right? One of the things that I think gets lost too when we're talking about where where does this population belong from a source perspective is, you know, between HR and the IGA tool and a solution like Sexeta is um, if they're not in HR, right, then the kind of the gut thing as well will just, put them in IGA, but the IGA tool typically do not have that function. They, right. They, Jim mentioned before, they expect that there already is an authoritative source. So, um, you know, some tools are better than others at managing and mastering identities, um, on their own, but a lot of times it ends up being some sort of, you know, configuration or customization add on. And that's where I see things like, like the Sexata product being able to kind of fill that gap with a fit for purpose, you know, solution versus trying to shim it into a solution where that's not really its sweet spot. And you talked about, um, you know, the different uh, people who may be involved with managing uh, third-party identities. So some of the workflows that I can see maybe being out there are, you know, onboarding workflow, uh, you know, get the person, you know, onboarded with whatever the minimum information is, and then have that run through some series of approvals that you kind of referenced, right? Maybe it goes from the manager to finance to, you know, someone else, right? Um, or uh, maybe it's extending things like expiration dates. So this is something that, you know, is a, is a common control that a lot of organizations use to manage contractors or other third parties is to assign an expiration date to an account 
Um, the problem then becomes is, you know, how do you manage that going forward uh, so that the contractor account doesn't expire on a Saturday and all of a sudden you've, you know, created a help desk call or a page or, well, that's how old I am, right? I just referenced page to my old days of getting support. But, uh, you know, maybe there is some sort of, you know, process around being able to notify, you know, the, the person who knows the identity the best of when they should be expand, you know, when they should be expired or, or not. Um, what are some of the workflows that you see that are really common um, from a Sexeta perspective to be able to effectively manage those types of identities? So coming to your first point in an IAM system, right? I mean, let's face it, if, if we are trying to do this in an IAM system, uh, we probably have a basic form to collect some uh, personal information about the individual. Maybe we have an approval behind that and then, um, you know, either access requests being the next step from there or, or, you know, provisioning very basic access and then going to access requests, right? Uh, so we're relying on people to not provide the necessary context uh, and then just drive access based on what they think they need for the business. You know, to uh, uh, the, you know, process of, you know, contractor extension, that is really a place that there is a ton of risk to organizations because there are quite often examples where a, you know, third party, and by the way, this is every single customer that we go to. So I know it's not, you know, I know it's not just uh, some, but uh, when they do a, you know, contractor extension of access, they extend access for that person. Uh, usually it's 90 days, sometimes 180 days. But what happens if that person is termed for cause the next day by the organization that actually employs them? And there's a break in the chain, and that chain is manual, right? So that vendor organization now has to notify you as their customer, partner, affiliate, whatever. Your line of business manager needs to take appropriate action based on that to go uh, request that access be terminated, and then you have to go find all the access that's associated with an individual, right? So there's this chain of manual interaction that has to happen to appropriate to appropriately deprovision access ultimately for uh, somebody that you know has been termed or their relationship with your organization has been terminated. So you're you're relying on a really you know manual process that has lots of uh, potential. Um, errors in it, right? Or, or no action. So you end up with accounts that could be, you know, uh, active for 89 days because they were just, uh, you know, extended yesterday. And that person now has access to your own environment for 89 days. So there is not a single silver bullet to this problem, right? It isn't, it isn't like, you know, the HR system is really dependable because organizations do not pay employees after they turn them. You get a term date from an HR system, right? So what is the equivalent for a non-employee? Um, there is a, uh, a variety of strategies um, that we employ that can effectively eliminate that problem for, for an organization. Just like the onboarding process is collaborative. Uh, and by the way, it's not just, it's not just the, uh, uh, input or, or the access request for that person that's, um, that's collaborative, right? So, so when we collect data about a non-employee and as they start their relationship and well before you actually grant them access, 
we're going to collect data from a variety of places. And those, those places are, and this, this brings the, the kind of threads of the needle back up to vendor management, right? Or vendor risk management, right? Who the vendor is that they work for so that we have complex relationships built there, right? All of the stakeholders in the process can either provide data about the relationship this person has, or we can collect data through integrations with like credentialing systems, et cetera. Now, to ensure that that person has an active relationship with your organization over time, it's not a point in time thing. This is a living, breathing relationship that you need to consistently be looking at to determine if it's valid. And there's a lot of factors in determining whether or not that relationship is valid. And those factors usually all have to be positive, right? They're a doctor, they have valid credentials. Uh, they work for a vendor. That vendor is active within our vendor management system. Uh, that vendor, we didn't get a breach notification in our vendor risk system that this vendor was breached. Um, the uh, training that HR required has not expired, right? The third-party delegate or representative at that vendor organization continually says that this person should have a relationship with our organization as related to a project, a contract, whatever they're working on. So now we're going to that outside organization to help collaborate in managing uh, the um, the active status of a non-employee's relationship to our organization. So you're not putting your business under certification for T-Care. You're putting it back on your vendors and partners to attest that, hey, this person is still part of our organization. They're employed and they're still engaged with you. And then we also involve uh, self-service in that process. So pinging that non-employee right at the organization that they work at to, to determine that they are at least still employed by that organization, right? So, you know, sending hash links to say, hey, do you still work for, you know, identity, right? Or, or whoever it may be. If they're getting that, um, if they're getting that email uh, or, or other means, there's, there's other means besides email, but they're able to hit that hash link and it's a stay alive, right? It's, uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, watch the show Lost, but you have to hit the big red button or, or put the Fibonacci code in every day to, to, to keep the island from blowing up. Effectively, what we're trying to do is constantly blow up that relationship, right? And, and it takes all of these other things to say, no, 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 this is a valid relationship. Um, the, the concern that sometimes is brought up there is, well, if you blow up that relationship, Right, you could be limiting the business and causing all of this friction within the business to actually get done what they're what they need to get done. Well, the great thing about having a collaborative tool is is you can inverse that just as easily, right? Like, hey, the line of business manager, you know, just got a notification that this person's being, you know, terminated and has an opportunity to to, to uh um inject themselves in that process and say, No, this is valid, that was that that's incorrect. They didn't respond in time. Cool. We'll, we'll bring that person and make them active again. Right. So you, you are enabling your business and those third parties to manage their relationships themselves, uh, while ensuring that there is a validity to that relationship systematically. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. And, you know, uh, David, I'm going to add an addendum. You chose IAM and then you chose one of the hardest problems to solve in IAM because of the variability across all these industries and not only industries, it's how companies and organizations choose to manage these non-employees, which is not just contractors. <laughs> so you pick the hardest problem 
Um, I think it's really interesting. You're obviously, um, you know, a very smart person. And, you know, one of the questions I like to ask is kind of to close things out because you've been really generous with your time. And I think we've opened people's eyes. We'll, we'll get into how people can reach out in a minute. But one of the things I always want to ask smart people is, you know, what are you doing to sharpen this all? What are you, what are the resources that you use that our listeners, our IAM practitioners um, could learn something from, you know, where do you go to, to stay sharp? Yeah. So, so outside of our customers, our employees and our partners who, you know, frankly, I learned more from uh, than any other resource um, just in, in my engagement and, and uh, interactions with them. Um, you know, we, uh, oh, we, we look at like identity, identity uh, defined security Alliance has a lot of good resources that we tap into and, and view. And, and I listen to podcasts like your podcasts, uh, Every, uh, every opportunity I get. Um, and then, you know, there's not a whole lot of literature, um, that is produced in the identity space. But when there is, you know, and I mean literature by actual books, um, I do try to, uh, to keep up with, you know, some of the forward thinking, uh, associated with that. But one of my best resources is LinkedIn, right? I'm just LinkedIn to a lot of people in the industry. There's a lot of white papers that are produced there. Um, I really do use LinkedIn as a research tool. Um, but, um, you know, it, it would be nice if, uh, um, there were one central nonprofit organization for the, the mindset of identity. Um, I think there's a few, you know, nonprofits that are trying to be that. And like I said, the identity uh, defined security Alliance is one that I particularly like, but um, you know, I probably look at it, you know, uh, more than that. So. Yeah. And the identifying security alliances is, is something that comes up quite a bit. Uh, we spoke with Jared Brennan last week. He's doing, he did a presentation, Let's see, I'm trying to think of the timing of where this was last week when he did that. Uh, and then uh, we've also had Julie Smith, who's the executive director of that organization, too. And they, they have a lot of good resources. There's other things out there like ID Pro, um, which I'm a member of. They have um, a body of knowledge. And I think you're right. It's like there's there's a lot of these a little bit of a smaller players. And at some point there may be some, you know, someone kind of steps to the forefront. But they're each tackling different areas. Right. ID Pro is more focused on members and practitioners, whereas IDSA or the Identity Defined Security Alliance is more focused on the vendor side of things. And I think both are, are great resources to look at. Uh, you mentioned LinkedIn. Um, if people are interested in checking out Sexeta or connecting with you directly, you know, what's the best way for them to reach out? Is it to connect with you on LinkedIn, visit the Sexeta website, uh, or are there other methods that you that are open for people. Yeah. I mean, to connect to me personally, the, the best method is probably uh, LinkedIn. Um, certainly I'm connected to a lot of the industry groups in there as well. So uh, most people probably have the opportunity to message me directly. Uh, certainly open to connect. If you're in the industry, I'm going to certainly connect because I'm hoping that there's something I can learn from you. Right. So uh, it's probably the best method, obviously our website and going through that uh, process is, you know, we'll eventually, you know, connect you to uh, myself or somebody in the sales organization. But um, I am I am a regular participant in LinkedIn. So glad to connect. Great. And what I'll do is I will put in the show notes a link to your profile on uh, LinkedIn, as well as the sex at a website. Uh, David, really appreciate you spending the time with us today. I, I think Jim hit it right in the head. 
you, you pick the one of the most political problems <laughs> to try and solve from an identity standpoint. And uh, I think there's a lot of value that uh, people can learn from, you know, from from listening to you talk here in this episode, but also, you know, checking out how sex ed is approaching it. So I certainly appreciate that time. Uh, before we totally close it out, Jim, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up before uh, we let people go? No, just another conversation, another conversation about identity ma- management amongst friends. And um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much for your time, David. Yeah, Jim and Jeff, really pleasure speaking with you and uh, appreciate the kind words and uh, certainly uh, look forward to the next time I get to, well, one of these days, maybe I'll get to see you guys again. (laughs) In the meantime, look forward to the next conversation. Appreciate it, David. All right. So with that, we're going to go ahead and close it out uh, for this week. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. You can visit our show at identityatthecenter.com. You can follow us on Twitter at IDAC Podcast. And with that, we're going to go ahead and call it for this week. Thanks for listening and take care. listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. For more episodes, visit identityatthecenter.com.